Hello, you're listening to the DMBA podcast where we share business confidence for designers. And this is another business design jam. Um, so we're jamming, jamming session between me and Franz where we talk about um, current business news or business concepts and see how they're relevant for the work of designers. Um, yeah, so as I said before, almost as always today with me is Franz. Hi, Franz. Hi, everyone. Hey. Uh, what are we going to talk about today, Franz? Um, actually, we talk about something that somebody else brought us. So we got a question from a listener, Petter, on a piece from Sequoia. We can also link this piece in the show notes, I guess. Mm. So the whole deck talks about the current situation of the economy, of the venture capital market, how capital was free and is now expensive. This is what they claim, at least. And what impact that could have on the business world. And we, yeah, Petra had a, a bunch of questions about it. And we think that this whole topic is just super interesting. So we decided to make a whole episode around it. So today, yeah, there was one, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say that there was a one part of this email from Petter that, uh, that I really found interesting, which is what does that even mean? Free money or expensive money? Um, I think if you are deep into the business world and you're reading business news, it feels like second nature. But if you think about it, what is free money? What is expensive money? Because money is just money, you know? Um, yeah. So we'll go into this and, and much more in implications and so on. Yeah, um, correct. So basically, yeah. step by step, we'll start talking about cheap money and expensive money and what that even means. Then... We'll also talk about why is this change actually happening now? So why is capital now getting more expensive? And then we'll also talk about the implications. Exactly. Is that it? Anything else to I think say? So. I think so. There may be more, but let's see where the conversation takes us. Um, so if you find this topic interesting, you know, cheap money, expensive money, in general, like business world, you may also enjoy our seven-day mini MBA. So that's a small plugin for our free newsletter. So um, yeah, it's a seven day email course where over seven days you receive seven emails and each email you learn a business concept and how it's relevant for the work of designers. So to sign up for this, head over to d.mba slash mini minus MBA. Um, yeah, and now let's head into the jam. Will you kick it off Franz with what is cheap and expensive money? Yeah, let's do it. So what does it even mean? Um, basically, it's about interest rates. So capital is cheap when you can borrow money with a very low interest rate. And this usually also goes along with the fact that there is, it's actually very easy to borrow money, meaning that you don't need a lot of equity or assets to secure a loan. So when you go to a bank, they usually ask you for, hey, do you have part of this money that you need also for yourself, do you have anything that you can secure this loan with, like a house, uh, property or anything? So if money is cheap, interest rates are usually low and the securities that you need are also low. So it's rather easy to, to basically get this money. And this goes across um, all actors. Well, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I just wanted to expand on, on this one part that I found really uh, interesting to maybe expand on, which is this security you mentioned, right? Like the down payment. Uh, why do banks even want this? 
I think that's also an interesting point. So what could happen if you're buying a car or a bath? I mean, uh, mostly, let's say, a house. It could happen that you're buying it overpriced. So that's why bank always wants you to put on at least 20%. So that even if you do not pay or repay your loan, which is called like uh, defaulting on your payment, then uh, they can still sell it at 80% and get their money back. So that's a little bit of why they have this security baked in, which is they want you to put, have some skin in the game to put yeah. down your payment. Yeah, and the, the less payment you need to put down, the cheaper it is actually in a way to, to get that money. Yeah. True. And this, like the fact or it being easy to get money, this actually goes across actors, right? You have what you just mentioned, just regular people borrowing money to buy apartments or uh, build houses or even money for uh, consumer products like cars, furniture and electronics. Um, then there is a lot of venture capital funding. If like money is cheap and it's easy to get, it is cheap for companies to take out the loan and invest in their business. And it goes, goes all the way up to countries for which it's cheap to borrow money from the central bank and invest it in their economy or do something for their people. Whereas expensive money is basically exactly the opposite. So when capital is expensive, interest rates for loans are higher. Um, and usually it's also harder to qualify for a loan. So banks want you to have more um, percentage of this loan for yourself uh, or they need more securities um, and it's basically just harder to get a loan. So now coming back to this house thing again, um, Alan, we're both in our 30s. So um, many of our friends have taken out loans to buy apartments or build houses. Do you know, like just to basically level out things and know what we're talking about, do you know the mm -hmm. interest rates that they were dealing with like in the last years when money was free or cheap? Well, that was, I mean, stupidly cheap, right? So I have uh, talked to a few friends and they were getting like below 2% interest rate, um, yeah. which is very, very cheap. I'll talk a little bit later about like average interest rates or record highs, but this is just record low, like 1.7, 1.9. I even heard about 1.5 being thrown around for 20 year yeah. um, loans. Uh, that was Fixed a year interest ago, rate, right? right? Fixed interest rates, yeah. Yeah. So even if irrespectively of what happens in the market, you get 1.5 or 1.7% for 20 years fixed. Yeah, irrespective That's of inflation, crazy. irrespective of anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, imagine like 1.5% a year interest rate for 20% uh, for 20 years. It's very cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know anything about now? Like how has this changed? I was at the bank this week just trying to figure out also this for myself since we're okay. in our 30s, as you said. <laughs> so right now, this month, I can give you the fresh uh, fresh information. Ooh. It's uh, around like 3%. So it's already almost doubled, doubled from the... Yeah, yeah. I mean, this and is still, I wouldn't say it's super expensive. It's not cheap anyway. It's not cheap, um, as cheap as it was, but it's also not super expensive either, but it's just more than it was. And that always hurts, yeah. you know? Yeah. And what I've heard is also that banks are more um, cautious about these fixed interest rates. So you're not, are you getting these 3% for 20 years? Uh, that's a good point. So uh, a bank I wanted to deal with is not offering fixed interest rates anymore at all. Like you cannot <laughs> yeah, okay, that's get what a I meant. fixed interest rate. Uh, so there are okay. some other 
banks that offer it. So luckily you can choose, but um, yeah, it, the market is changing and especially, yeah. I mean, that's what we're talking about today. Now this, this, it's just all over the place. So what we can say is that for sure, capital was cheap, not necessarily free. And now capital is maybe not yet expensive, but it's getting more expensive. So now what, what I would like to talk about is like, why is this happening now? Like, why do we have this change now? Mm. And I tried researching on this topic a little bit and actually to really explain this or really understand this, you have to go back in time a little bit, actually until 2007. Um, and this is when we had what was called the great recession at the time. So it was mm. called the fiercest recession since the 1930s. Um, it was yeah. um, basically kicked off by the U.S. housing market um, going from boom to bust. Uh, some banks going bankrupt. Many banks have uh, been bailed out by governments. Um, and it was just the beginning of a global financial crisis. So mm. let's not go into why this happened, but let's just try to understand the situation. So the GDP, the gross uh, domestic product, like all the goods and services produced in a country, they declined for two years in a row, 2008 and 2009. In other words, like companies were just making less money. Unemployment mm. rate was on a record high and bottom line, the economy was just in a bad shape. So policymakers had to do something to push the economy out of this slump again. And a measure that was taken um, to help the economy, economy recover is called quantitative easing. So weird term, <laughs> but it's basically economics language for increasing the money that's out there. So this is done yeah. by a central bank and the central bank buys financial products on the free open market. So there is more money in the like full supply, more money, and they are lowering the interest rates. So the thought behind that is, to stimulate the economy, what you need is more money to be spent. So you make it cheap and you make it easy to get it. So people can take out loans to buy goods. People not putting their money on the bank because you don't get any interest, but you rather spend it elsewhere. Companies can take out loans very cheaply. So they invest in their production facilities. Um, countries take out loans to invest in the economy, like building infrastructure, supporting their people. So in turn, they will also spend it in the economy. Um, and that's basically just pushing the economy by putting money out there that's being spent. And that's basically helping the economy itself. And it went so far that central banks' interest rates went to 0%. So mm. there was basically like central banks is the banks of the banks. So if another bank wants money, they need to go to the central bank and they need to borrow it. So they went and say got it for free. And central banks also lend money to countries. So even countries could take out money practically for free. And that did work, honestly, right? We saw economic growth. We saw huge investments being made. We saw unemployment rates getting lower. And then 2020 happened, right? So mm. fast forward 10 years or a little bit more, COVID happened, um, another crisis, and the response was basically the same again, right? Massive government spending to help people and companies to get through the crisis, central banks again lowering interest rates, and people would say, what? Why? Like, how? If something is already at zero, how can you lower it? 
Actually, they did. So the Fed and the ECB, like the European Central Bank, they introduced negative interest rates. So if a bank had money, they had to pay for having the money, which is yeah. so weird. Like now we're like, if anybody is, is um, or has thought about this or was basically reading about this, it's kind of normal. But when you first heard of this concept it's so weird like you you need to pay for having money in the bank so in the yeah. bank exactly and it, and it was also for individuals and companies uh it was basically for everybody it was really interesting yeah and you can imagine that this is exactly a super powerful tool to basically boost an economy because if you need to pay money to have your money at the bank you will definitely look for alternatives to spend it and spending it means economic growth so again it kind of did exactly what it had to do because we had after the or after the pandemic i mean we're still kind of in the pandemic but when you look at the slump of stocks and all the market we kind of had a v-shaped recovery right this was a drop everybody was scared as fuck and then six months later we we're back at pre um pre-pandemic um market rates right yeah yeah so even kind of higher. even higher exactly so kind of worked again but yeah. now this Went only works far. until like the boomerang strikes back and now we're getting to why is this happening now right so we have now this boomerang being struck back and also something terrible that is hitting us sideways so namely russia's attack on ukraine followed by very high inflation in many countries due to higher energy um, prices and this leading to also depreciation of currencies like we talked in our last episode so you can listen in that if you want to know more about currency values so situation that we have now is we have hit the turning point and in order to fight inflation and stabilize a currency's value you need to change your monetary strategy you can't be as loose on the money again and you basically need to follow the flip side of what i described before so central banks at the moment are raising their interest rates um, and stopping their programs to buy securities on the market basically pumping money in the market in order to stabilize the value of their currency so this leads to a lower supply of money. Money is likely to be invested and not spent. So it basically leads to appreciation of a currency. Let's not go there. Just listen to the last <laughs> episode that we had. And 69. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think episode 69, yeah. And raising the interest rate even more importantly is a tool to fight inflation which is a huge problem all over the world currently not maybe all over the world but in many um, many economies so inflation basically just again of course when there is too much money chasing too few goods so basically you have people bidding against each other and by raising interest rates the central bank makes it more expensive to borrow money and in other words they basically just try to make you spend less money so in turn prices decrease again and this is why we have this now right so we have this situation of very high inflation and inflation is from monetary policy perspective being fought by increasing interest rates bringing people to spend less money having in general less money in the market so that the market cools down and prices go down and this is exactly mm -hmm. what we have at the moment resulting from as i said like russians attack in ukraine and the 
um, and this like general impact on energy prices and general impact on supply chains all over the world. Um, but also it's a consequence of what we had in the last 10 years, being, namely money being pushed into the market and yeah. then with COVID basically tipping this off. Yeah, some people were saying that we got um, addicted to free money, you know, the economy did. Because from 2008 to 2018, like basically the interest rates were super, super low. And then they started slowly. So the central banks are slowly raising the interest rates. But then the COVID hit and then they just had to go back to this strategy. Um, but yeah, and it, to, to, to kind of sum up what, what you said, Franz, I like to usually think in terms of supply and demand. So, you know, if there's a lot of something on the market, the, 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 the price is cheaper. If it's something is scarce, then it, the price goes up. And it's the same with money. You know, we had so much money on, in the market. Everybody, it was so easy to get money that, you know, um, it meant that there is abundance of money, um, which makes it kind of cheap. But now we're going into the scarce, you know, trying to make it scarce. So we're raising the price to make the money scarce so that this affects the inflation and so on. Um, I also wanted to share, a, as I said before, a little bit of historic perspective on uh, where are we in the territories of the record highs and the record lows. Well, we just discussed record lows because these are the record lows. But I had a look at uh, some of the numbers from... Uh, you know, the last 60 or so years. So I'm looking at a graph from the Fed. So this is the US Central Bank. And what I see is that, as you said before, in 2008, the interest rate was around, let's say, 5%. And it, then it dropped to zero and it stayed more or less zero until 2016, when it slowly started to rise and then it went back down. Um, but if we look back to the 1950s, I would say that more than half of the years, more than half of the decades, we were above 5% in terms of the annual interest rate. So the, the, the interest rate of how expensive was it for banks to loan money from the central bank, which means that actually it was even more expensive for people to loan it uh, for their, I don't know, buying a house, etc. right? So that was, let's say, 8% or so. Even now, if you talk to some friends who were, um, or colleagues who were buying houses 10, 15 years ago, um, they have still like this 8% interest rates, which today seem absurd, but it's actually, yeah. it's kind of normal. Um, and so let's just say around 5%, it's an average, um, one or 2% up or down. Um, but the record high, we, I'm looking at 1980s, 1981, 82, 83. I was crazy. Like, can you guess the interest rate in the 80s, front? So we said eight was kind of the normal. Let's double that. Let's say 16. Yeah, I mean, eight is from the perspective of the consumer, right? From the perspective of yeah. fat, we said five. Um, but yeah, you're roughly right. So the, the peak was around like 18%, you know, 18% interest rate. Central 18, bank interest one rate. Eight. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, imagine this today. 
But then these, I was, I was trying to understand why, you know, why this happened. What was central bank trying to fight that in they the 80s, introduced? 1980s. Yeah, yeah, exactly mm-hmm. in the 1980s. So I dug a little deeper, and I found out that actually what they were trying to fight was inflation. Uh, they were there was record high inflation <laughs> in the 1980s, uh, especially in the beginning of the 1980s. And then I was trying to understand. First of all, it was around 14 percent, right? And mm-hmm. right now, the latest, and these are all US data. Um, why are we talking about US again? Because it just affects all other markets because the dollar is basically the most important currency in the world. So I'm looking at the latest data for the inflation in the US and it's around 9%, you know? So we are close to the record highs of the 1980s which were around 40%, so 14, one four. Um, and now we see the same response from the central bank, so increasing the interest rates. I don't think we will get anywhere close to 18%, but it just kind of tells you um, what central banks have to do in this case. They have to raise interest rates just to fight inflation because inflation is arguably even worse than, um, than a deep recession. Um, yeah, I mean, well, this, depends is the on the recession. <laughs> this is the situation that we have again, right? So we have an inflation and economic downturn at the same time. So while you'd actually want to lower interest rates to boost your economy, you can't do this because this would drive inflation. And that's the like the greater devil in this case. Yeah. So you'd rather fight inflation than um, push more money in the, exactly. in the economy. And um, this 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 may lead to something called stagflation. Uh, so stagflation is a situation where you need to raise your interest rates, but at the same time you have a very high um, unemployment rates and low uh, economic growth, but you have to keep high interest rates because you need to fight the inflation. And that's exactly what happened in the eighties as well. So they kind of went came into this stagflation um, mode of economy. Which is, mm-hmm. is it? It's something we haven't seen in the last yeah forty years. Yeah, and I think this is now what we're talking about the second side of this whole money being more expensive, or let's talk about it a little bit more globally and say money being harder to get. So the one thing is definitely interest rate, right? Central bank interest rates, and it's clear that they're raising it now in order to fight inflation. Um, but there is also this like general economic climate that makes it easier or harder to get money. So we need mm-hmm. to talk about it, not only about like what does the Fed do or what does the ECB do, but how is the general, how is the real world? How's the general economic situation? And due to all that happened in the last two to three years with the pandemic and the war, um, the climate just like also the business climate just took a hit and in business terms, you would say that this is like a supply chain instability, like goods used in products are not readily available and the prices increased. But just in general, it leads to a climate or like psychological state of people and businesses that doesn't favor like flourishment. People re- reevaluate their priorities, tightening their belts basically because they don't know like... Is this going to be a V-shaped recovery? Probably not. So let's just wait and let's just maybe not do anything and maybe just let's 
cut our spending and not be too courageous about our goals maybe also so established companies having the same trouble sustaining their businesses not meeting their goals um this is visible in stock prices um and it also means that return on investment is higher uh, is lower and it can also be seen in the whole startup scene right so startups being evaluated differently shifting away away from like this growth focused mindset um and also seeing this massive cost cuts that we already have so the one thing is hey we just got an increase in two percent interest rate is this really bad i mean two percent come on that can't be a huge issue it's also just this whole climate of i don't know if we should now spend money so rather maybe not let's rather like wait and see if everything turns out okay and this just leads to let's not say money being more expensive but not money not being as readily available i can't hear you sorry i muted myself <laughs> um and that kind of leads to the second part of uh, peter's peter's question uh, yeah. which is which goes into implications of uh, of cheap and expensive capital and let me share what Peter has wrote about this and maybe let then let's comment about uh, yeah. uh, comment it so he's saying that since okay so let's say uh, the premise is capital is getting more expensive which means there will be a vacuum for uh, vacuum of money or investment and this means that this hero of the last five seven years which was technological founder who was working on a fast-paced startup that was supposed to conquer the world is no longer what investors are looking for and investing in they're looking for other types of investments and his premise or his assumption or hypothesis is that who will benefit the most is corporates so the big slow-paced ones have seen themselves overtaken or even disrupted by the startup peeps right um, and then he's claiming you will see an increased impact and focus on com- corporate venture building but let's break this down Fran. so um, how do we see it you know what are the implications of this for for the corporates and uh, maybe i'll share my perspective first so in a way i do see it's kind of benefiting um companies that are profitable so yeah that is in most cases big multinational companies that usually also have some um like cash reserves or just some kind of reserves that they can tap into so if truly there will be less investment for uh, investments for startups this could benefit their own internal innovation um projects but also their like um startups um first of all the big problem for startups um will come like not right now but in the next six six to twelve months when they will need to look for the second third fourth round so for more money and um, if they don't get this money you know the startup is gone on the other side if you have a corporate startup it's being funded by a corporate company so this inflow of money is much more stable at least if you're hitting your kpis as a corporate startup you know because mm-hmm. you so 
even corporate will evaluate if start this startup um you know can continue if it makes sense for them to to keep investing so i think for corporate innovation and corporate startups this is kind of a a good sign because it will clean up this uh startup world in a way because there will be just less money uh for them so this is a chance for them to catch up but i will also add that it's also a chance you know for corporates to buy some of these startups at the cheaper valuations because in the last Three years, the valuations were crazy. So valuation is how much a company is uh, estimated to be worth. And usually this is a multiplication of their revenue. But if it's a startup, um, usually it's also just what percentage of the market they could capture and how much they could be worth one day. So these valuations are just already going down, um, sometimes even by a factor of two or even five. So it's a chance for them to not even innovate themselves, but to buy innovations that already seem to be um to be yeah to to have a high potential so i do see this benefiting corporates uh quite a lot mm. so you're saying strategic investments are now in favor um compared to classical vc investment because you do have a reason to stick in other than the pure return on investment yeah I would say both, but it like strategic investments have always made sense. Maybe now even more so. Mm. The only thing I would like to just add is that even these hyper growth startup stories still make sense, but I think the way they will be judged will be much harsher. The KPIs yeah. will need to be much tighter. I think this will favor startups that are further down their like path, you know, closer to profitability. They have proven more things. Um, so yeah both still both are still valid but yeah strategic strategic investments are getting probably more important over the next in, in this period of more expensive uh capital yeah i mean just in general i think obviously startups is something that hasn't really found the business model that really works in the like closest definition that you can have right so obviously as a startup, you need money. As a classic startup, you need money to survive until you make a profit or in positive cash flow. So obviously, these companies are the ones that are struck most. So when you just compare this or when you just talk about who will now benefit and who will not benefit or who will be struck or who will not be struck, it's basically when capital is freed, like the best performing companies are the ones that are capital intensive and capital consumptive because you can buy yourself market share. You can just use like all the money you can get in order to buy market share. And eventually you just turn on the monetization basically. And you've already captured as big as of a market. You've already locked in your customers. You've already made people love their product because it was decent or good and free. And then you change your policy and then you kind of, you, you make money. And that is like capital consumptive, right? Because you have used all this capital in order to get there. And now these capital consumptive companies are the ones that are not performing as well anymore, right? So all if capital gets expensive, then this means like capital as a means of getting you somewhere is mm. just more expensive. And yeah. this will strike you. And if you want it like the most, let's say the, the most let's say 
yeah, the easiest example would be houses again, right? So if you are in the business of buying and renting out houses, you had a great business case when you had cheap money because you yeah. could buy houses. Um, I mean, you cannot buy the houses you need uh, to sustain your business with with cash, right? Actually, if you go further, then it's actually also smart to buy with a loan because you can deduct um, like the cost of capital from your profit, but yeah. that's a different story. Texas. So you just like, you take out the loan to buy a house, capital is cheap, uh, your cost of capital is low, you can charge good prices, you have low cost, you have a good business. And all of a sudden interest rates rise. Let's say you don't have a fixed interest rate loan uh, because you took out so much money and this doesn't apply to that. So now once you had a profitable business, it turns into a bad business because you just have higher cost. So that's just the easiest way to explain it. And that works for every other company as well, right? If mm. the fuel that drove your company's value was the money that you pumped in in order to get something in return in future was free, then everything was great. And if it's not expensive, then everything is bad now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, an easy analogy here is like, if you need to build a product, you need more money than if you need to build a software. So that's one way to think about an example of capital intensive versus less capital intensive. So software like as, as a service is just less capital intensive as building a hardware or houses, obviously, and big yeah. infrastructure project, projects. Even though we do have some examples of software companies that um, because of their marketing strategy have become very capital intensive or at least were capital intensive at certain points of their, um, of their path. I don't know, Uber comes to mind. It was just like land grabbing, trying to get into as many locations as possible. And you yeah. have many other examples of that where because of marketing, they're just trying to get into as many pockets or smartphones as possible. And then they try to become profitable. So that's also like software can be capital intensive, depends on how you run it. So, um, yeah. but that's an, a, a thing a lot of investors will look at in these days. Like, is it, Profitable. If it's not, is it capital intensive or not? How far is it down the path of profitability and maturity? Mm. And all of these things will just benefit some and hurt others. Yeah. And interestingly, you would call now a good investment, like already profitable or almost profitable. Um, let's say cash flow positive, durable but steady growth. Um, so you're looking for this now, and this is what was called conservative investment, right? This was yeah. not really what was venture capital uh, before, because what you were looking for, you were you didn't care about profit at all. The only thing that you wanted was market size, a good team, and the ability to shove in market uh, to shove in money in order to basically capture as much of the market as possible, and then later on, like use this lock in for from people um, to to monetize. So mm. bootstrapping was also nice. Uh, was all, was was always great. And it's maybe now even greater <laughs> because you don't have to deal with that. Um, and I mean, it's always easy to say, like, build a company that's cash flow positive from the start. I mean, obviously, everybody would want to do this, but maybe we can still see it as an opportunity to create an economy or create a generation of startups that is based on actual value creation. So maybe we could stop this unicorn chasing and stop focusing on this like hyper growth at all costs, buying up competitors, locking in customers, 
I don't know, locking also in your workers, like in the gig economy. And then when you have done all that, you just turn into like this dude who just forcefully monetizes when everything is yeah. already done, right? So I'd love to see actually a generation of companies from this current state of lack of money that is different from the Ubers and the walled food deliveries and the Lime scooters and all that that was basically seemingly driven by just pumping money into something that should grow as fast as possible. Valuation is going crazy for things that are, that practically don't have value because they don't like, there is no profit. They're not even mm -hmm. close to profitability. And I would actually be happy if that led to kind of a re-evaluation of how we value businesses and we don't value like these unicorns and we don't value this, Let's make everything free and and get as many people on board and then just squeeze them afterwards. Um, but rather mm -hmm. think of okay, how can we create something that is that people want to pay money for from the start because it's great from the start. Yeah, yeah, it's not always possible. I fully agree with what you're saying. Just want to say sometimes different path works better. But what I want to add is that there has been a really interesting uh, rise in popularity of. I believe it's called patient capital or slow capital, like playing off of venture capital. Mm. So these are like, at this stage, very small firms buying uh, profitable companies. So for example, maybe a founder, you know, has just, just wants to uh, do an exit, check out, get some money, cash in, you know, to secure financially mm. also their own family and so on. And these are usually not big companies. We're talking maybe between half a million in revenue and 10, 20 million in revenue. So again, not unicorns. But these companies are targeting these type of, so these patient capital firms are targeting these type of companies. And um, it's a completely different world. Like you're not investing for a hyper growth. You're more trying to figure out, oh, is this company profitable? And then it's a completely different of a model of evaluation and how you as an investor get money out. Um, And that's much healthier, I think, on the long run than uh, the hyper growth mania that we had over the last 20 years. I still want to say that it is important to have that super risky capital for certain innovations. But yeah. lately, it's also been fueled by greed. Uh, um, and that has taken us down the path of these urban trash, you know, like... When I lived in Berlin, it was every two months a new service would come out and then we would have new bikes or scooters or whatever lying around the city. That's also not great, neither for the yeah. business nor the environment. Um, I'm, I fully agree with the fact that there cannot, like, we cannot only have bootstrapped companies that are profitable from the start, right? There are just, there will always be companies that need money up front and only will generate revenue later like just to think about tech heavy products biotech like there is a huge industry there are huge industries that do need money up front and they are super important to bring us forward right yeah. um like basically if you want to solve something like climate crisis then you're not going to make money from day one right you need to kind of invest in something if you yeah. want to i don't know store co2 or or develop um um, different kinds of fuels and so on. So, but the thing is, I don't think that they will not get investment anymore. 
I just think that this, like, if you're creating something that has value, then you will still be able to uh, get money. And I'm just saying that this, like, fraction of hyper-growth startups that use money as a vehicle to grow as fast as possible, um, that will be under huge scrutiny. And I think that will be really harmed. And mm -hmm. if you're, um, if there is a company who actually works on, like, tech innovation, research and development, I think there is always um, this underlying value that is created that's other than market share and other than mm. downloads, other than how many people use something. Um, and I think that will still be funded, maybe as not as easily as it's funded now, but they will not have as, as, big, as big of the problems as other startups have. So let's, uh, let's end up with this interesting question. Um, What kind of businesses or what kind of investments would you, Franz, look at now? Yeah, when we cannot do expensive? investment advice. Let's just say. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is <laughs> um, disclaimer. This is not financial <laughs> advice. This is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Now go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what would I invest in startup wise? Um, Just in general, like tech, what is a good environmental good, good? tech and health tech? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but that's a very weak claim. It's maybe just where I want the world to go. <laughs> but okay, I get it. I mean, that makes sense, but that made sense even five years ago. So my question is more like, what would you invest in now? And, and maybe that's still your answer, but like, why is this now the thing to invest in? I mean, before there was always the temptation in just investing in the hugest growing thing mm. like the hottest thing the unicorn like asking yourself why haven't you invested in the last unicorn um and maybe this is something that now gets i don't know if i mean it was tempting before because it just made you money but um maybe now this is gone and now you can um yeah focus on the real value companies mm. Maybe this is too much. Maybe I'm bashing too much here now on these companies because they are doing good work and they, I did like using Uber and stuff and I do use all these things, but I just think certain practices are just too far. Yeah. And I think it's good to be we're critical. okay getting a little bit of correction in this market, right? So yeah. I'm not, I don't want to say that this is the full evil and um, venture capital did a bad job in the last years. I'm just saying that we could definitely use some correction in our um, values, in our goals, in our incentives. And maybe we can use this current situation as something that helps us with that. Yeah, like every crisis is an opportunity. Like out of 2008, a lot of these ideas for crypto came out. Mm, so I'm really curious to see what's going to come out of these 2022 crises. Uh, so if I would get this question, you know, what business you would invest in now? Um, again, we're not accredited investors. This is just informational and educational uh, for all of your listeners. But um, a, a thought comes into my mind, which is when everybody is greedy, be fearful. When everybody's fearful, be greedy. And what I mean by this is I like to think in terms of what is currently under um, valued, you know, and paradoxically, it may happen that not right now, but in two, three years, 
it may become really hard for startups to get money. And then it may again be very good time to invest in these startups. So in general, like always looking for these mismatches, maybe in the last 10 years, the mismatch was like a profitable, well-oiled company. Over the next 10 years, it may be overvalued, like these bootstrap profitable companies and the startups mm -hmm. may become undervalued. So that's just in terms of my contrarian thinking, like that's where my mind goes. Yeah. Um, just always, because that's in capitalism where there's too much attention, usually the price is too high and there's no attention, usually the price is too low. So just playing with these dynamics. Interesting thought. Yeah. 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 And on that non uh, advice, uh, <laughs> I think we can also conclude this, uh, <laughs> conclude this episode, unless you had something else to add front. No, I'm good. Just want to say that if somebody else has questions about anything that we mm. write or publish, um, I don't know, you can subscribe to our email newsletter. You can read posts on our, um, you can read posts on our website. Uh, you can listen to the podcast. If you have any questions, uh, just write them to us. We will either answer them right away or we'll make a podcast episode out of it because we feel yeah. it's big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like Petr did. So if you have a question, just write us. If you reply to any of the newsletters, um, we'll definitely reply. But if you also not subscribed, you can just reach out at hello at d.mba and then one of us will jump onto it. And if it's a good topic, we'll make an episode out of it. Um, may maybe one thing I forgot as a good business investment in the times and such times is always education. So, um, and DMBA is offering education, business education, which is usually a very good investment in times of inflation and in times of uh, crisis. And um, so if you're listening this deep into this episode, and you're probably interested in these topics, so you might find DMBA an interesting also offer for you. So do do check out uh, d.mba slash course. The next one starts on October 10th, right, Franz? Correct. Yeah, so the next cohort. Mid-August. Exactly, yeah. So defend your money, protect your money, and invest it in uh, education. Um, so with this, we're concluding this episode, and the next one, maybe we'll cover one of your questions. We don't, we don't have a cliffhanger like we did last time, but uh, we'll find something interesting and useful in this Definitely. crazy business world. Have a All nice right. one. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.